Okay, everyone, we're going to rein it in. Oh. We'll have lots of time to discuss. Um, if you brought your Bibles, I hope, I hope you all brought your Bibles. Did you guys bring your Bibles? I'm going to really encourage you all, bring a physical Bible. Get off. You got to, you know what, there's, no, I'll No, no, no. Okay, so here's the thing, right? There's a thing about screen. I like screens. Trust me, I was playing Nintendo 64 last night with Jaden. It was so much fun playing Mario Kart 64. And I like, I like my screens, but I want to encourage you all as we, you know, almost treat like a Wednesday night, like a church night, even on a Sunday morning, um, get, try to get something to get off your device because your device can do a lot of things. Your Bible points to one person, and that's God. So I know your, your phone is like a Swiss army knife, and I sound like a dad here, but uh, if you bring your Bible with you, you're, you're just focused on the Word. And uh, there are translations that are way better than others. In my opinion, there are translations that are heretical, but that's just me being mean, right? Uh, I would re- we always read from the New American Standard Bible, the 1995 edition. So I just recommend you, um, if you have any questions about what to do to purchase a Bible, and if you have any questions, <laughs> let's say you can't, let's say you can't afford a Bible or anything like that, please just let us know. We would love to buy you a Bible. Uh, we would love to answer your questions on what a good, tra- translations do matter because some of the translations actually change the wording of the original text, which is bad. That's not good. So you might hear some pastors talking about retranslating things to be modern and relevant. Um, the Bible is relevant the way it is. We do not make it more relevant by attaching our culture to it. That actually leads to really bad problematic theology and understanding of who God is. So the reason we like the New American Standard Bible, the 1995 edition, not the 2001. 2001's okay, but... The 1995 is the most literal, uh, right now, like most scholars would say, it's the most literal to the original text. A lot of people don't like using it in sermons because it doesn't sound as pretty. Uh, It's a bit wordy, but it is very literal. So that's why we like it. And uh, we do have a language expert in the room. So, you know, we have to be careful when we talk about language, but. (laughs) So let's just open up our Bibles and we just exalted the Lord in worship, which is awesome. We just exalted the Lord by sharing our stories of what he's doing in our life and sharing our lives with each other. Now let's do it by opening our word and learning how to read our Bible and what the Bible is saying tonight. So we're reading from John 5, verse 1 to 24. Uh, if I didn't have any printouts today, I have the questions on here. Also, go to www.enrichvirginia.com and then go to the blog. Click on blog. And then you have the outline there for yourself as well to read along. Uh, John 5, chapter 5, verses 1 to 24. So we're, I broke it up into two. So I'm going to read 1 to 8 or 1 to 17 first. And then we're going to talk about that. And then we will talk about the second part. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. 
For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. It's a bit of time. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been, uh, been lying there a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while, I'm, while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, pick, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Uh-oh. Red flags, right? Yeah. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. <sighs> I love reading scripture out loud. It's awesome just to read a whole... No, I'm going to keep going, okay? For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he, had not, only was, he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has also passed out of death into life. I love this passage because it cuts through so much that is in our modern world that is wrong about Jesus. I love this portion of scripture because it just highlights like it's, it's, it's the good news of Christ in a couple of verses in this one story of the healing pool of Bethesda. And it's just an amazing 
picture and a clear picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus' mission is. So before we get to our first question, I just want to summarize what's going on here. So there's a pool at Bethesda. It's a healing pool. There's a lot of almost like myth and belief around it in the Jewish tradition that the angel will stir up the pool. The first one in the pool will get healed. And there's this idea of water, which is a continual theme in John. And this man cannot get up and walk to the pool. So he says, there's no one that has put me in the pool yet. No one has offered to do that for me. Therefore, that's why I'm not healed. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And then there's a plot twist. If you heard it, what day did he do it on? And I love the way it's written because it's like, it's a definite plot twist. Because you're like, you're reading it. You're like, oh, Jesus is awesome. And then it's like, but it was on the Sabbath, right? It's like this total, it's like this total plot twist and it plays against, um, and it should be a big deal. And the reason for that is because the Pharisees were very strict with the Sabbath. Now, where does the Sabbath come, th- come from? Can anyone answer that for me? Okay, so more specifically in the Torah, how do we know about the Sabbath, right? Okay, so the Sabbath is on day five, right? No. <laughs> so God created the world, right? In Genesis, it says in six days, God created the world. And on the seventh day, he rested. And so resting on the Sabbath is very important. Even God took a break. You hear this all the time. Right now, there's a lot of emphasis on mental health and taking a break. And a lot of that is good emphasis. And it's something that I even had to listen to recently in my life. But what is going on here? Why is Jesus then working on this day of rest? Well, a lot of scholars actually believe the Pharisees were actually taking the Sabbath and using it against the people. Now, we always say uh, there's two groups. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were very conservative in their theology, meaning that all, everything had to happen in the temple. Everything went back to the temple. They were stuck to the temple. It's actually believed when the temple fell in 70, 70 AD, uh, when the temple fell, the Sadducees actually, like a lot of people believe they scattered or changed into different types of Jews because they were so focused on everything happening in the temple. So that's why they didn't like Jesus, because Jesus talks about the body being the temple and his body being a temple. And Paul further iterates our bodies being a sacrifice to God and aroma to God in a temple. So Jesus is changing that, so that's why they don't like him. And the Pharisees were taking the law and adding their oral traditions into the law. So they're kind of the, they're not liberal in our context of modern politics or anything like that, but according to them, it was very liberal to take the Torah and then to add into the Torah, add into the law. And you see that in, in very modern evangelical circles. You see that quite a bit happening in, all over the church right now where we are hearing from God and we're adding in to what God is saying in the word and it's kind of muddying things up sometimes. And so they were taking these specific laws and they were adding these like hand-washing laws that were really weird. And like they were adding in, and we saw that at the beginning of John when we talked about baptism. And they just were making these laws that were like traditions on their own into scripture, into the Torah, which isn't good. So the Pharisees were the specific people here and they would take the Sabbath and they would actually say to people, you can't work on the Sabbath. You can't do this on the Sabbath. You have to rest. 
But then the, the Pharisees would actually mandate some of their enterprises, like farming and stuff. They would actually work on, on the Sabbath. So they were hypocritical because they were telling people not to do it. But they would do it in order to make money, in order to make enterprise. And they would actually force their slaves and some of the people under them to work on the Sabbath in order to make a certain amount of money. So they were telling people this thing about the Sabbath, but they weren't practicing it. So my first question is, why did Jesus heal so many people? What is the purpose of Jesus performing these healings? And why are we still fixated on healings as a church? And, and we are. There's a lot of focus on healings. And I'll just do call-outs for this, like hands up and call-outs, just because of time. So why are we so fixated on healings? And why did Jesus heal, right? So it's a twofold question. Um, so why do you think Jesus, and, and specifically this story, it's a standout story. It's got its own little section. So why did Jesus heal? <laughs> You're not wrong. Have you guys have you guys ever questioned this this before or thought about it or you just accept it? Like in this room, in modern Justice. modern people, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Modern people, like modern Christian or modern like general people? People in general are fixated on healing. So healing goes beyond the Christian. So there's actual different, there's different religions. So when I asked the question, I just meant as a whole, because uh, people are amazed here. We're going to learn later on about the 5,000. People are amazed there, feeding the 5,000. So... I would say, like, I mean, you can interpret it to what you want, so you can answer it to the way you want, but... This is, this is what I meant is that um, maybe just me, um, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but um, I, where, where I was growing up, yeah. um, mostly at the Baptist tradition, we don't, I don't think we talk about the healing as much. Like, we didn't have that much fixation on the healings. I, have, I didn't really follow uh, I didn't really pay too, too much attention to the healings and such, so... That's why, like, 
So I, I love that. I love that context, Jason. So I'm going to ask you. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. How do you view this story? Like, how do you view like how, you coming from that background? Well, I just I just see that yeah, Jesus' healing is is one one thing that he was doing is one thing that he was called to is part of his identity, just like the whole um, the the uh, Jehovah Witnesses. What Jehovah Witnesses? See what happens when groups take the name? I'm not surprised that he was healed, but but I also see that like for example if you look at a lot of churches, a lot of really popular charismatic churches, you see about whole healing things. Yeah. Whereas I, by contrast, we, we didn't really focus on the whole healing thing. Like, it's yeah. not like you're approving your Christian uh, to, 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 to witness or to believe in the, the healing that well, I, I would say too, like the world uses healings and like the fixation on the, like, especially with prosperity preaching, charismatic preaching, they actually use that against Christians and they say, oh, look, this didn't happen here. And it turns into like a, almost like a magic show or a fortune teller situation where it's like, your God isn't real because he didn't do this. And I love all these perspectives and answers and you're all actually correct. There's no wrong answer there. Uh, and I like your perspective on bringing it from a different context. Cause you know, I grew up in the Pentecostal context. I grew up in a healthy charismatic church. It wasn't unhealthy. There was a lot of discernment around the gifts of the spirit, but we had like fire nights and like, I grew up with that, right? Like a fixation on you got to come and get healed in healing services. And I've seen abuse come from that too. And the point of this passage and the point of Jesus' miracles that is very simple. And I would boil it down to one specific thing. And it was said tonight, Josiah said it. This is happening because Jesus is establishing his authority on earth. So here's the thing. A lot of people say, okay, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, so therefore it's okay to do some work. Like They're misinterpreting that, right? Because Jesus knows the Pharisees have taken the law and misinterpreted it. And not just with the Sabbath. He knows that they've taken the law and they're using it against people. They're worshiping in front of people to look better. They're using it to leverage themselves and their false heretical doctrine. And he's reordering the law. And he's not changing the law. But what he's doing is he's saying, you guys aren't interpreting the law properly. And it's just like uh, very similar to the Beatitudes. So in Matthew, he starts uh, by saying you are the salt and light. And before that, he talks, he does a Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 5. And the Beatitudes do that. Blessed are the poor uh, in spirit. Uh, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. I don't know off the I probably should know that. But it's a reordering the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Uh, there is a reordering of what the world sees as, as successful, of the, what the world sees as blessed. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm going to reorder that. And he preaches the gospel. And he, then he says, you are the salt and light. Don't lose your saltiness, but you are the salt and light. And then he gives instruction on how to do that. And his instruction is to abide in him because he is God 
the same God as God the Father. And that's what he's doing here. He says it in Matthew or in John 5, 18. He says, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. He continues, sorry, in 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. So he's actually saying, I'm not doing this as a man. I'm doing this with the authority of God because I am God. 100% God, 100% man. There's a motif of the water here too, or the visual of the water. So this Bethesda pool has like, people have built pools on top of this pool now. There's like Roman baths that were built on the Bethesda pool site because there's like this myth of healing around the pool. That is misinterpreting this story. It's not the pool or the water that's healing, just like earlier in John 4, with the woman at the well, Jesus doesn't say the well is living water. Jesus says, I am the living water. He reveals himself as the Messiah to the woman. And again, you have water healing people, people rushing to the water, and this man that can't get to the water, Jesus goes to the man, sounds a lot like Jesus healing the leper in Matthew, where Jesus goes out of the city, touches the leper and heals the leper in an instant, and the leper bows and worships him. So there's this consistent theme in the Gospels, and especially in John, it starts with water baptism, and it continues all the way throughout many miracles where Jesus is saying, okay, there's a water, the Bethesda pool here, but Jesus is the one that heals the man, not the water. And then the man can walk. So Jesus is above the water, he's above the Sabbath, he is God the Father. He created the Sabbath rule. The creator of a rule owns the rule. <laughs> and he's reordering that. And he's saying, you guys don't, can't even talk about the Sabbath because you don't even know me. You don't even know God because you're diluting all of these laws. You're diluting. You actually don't know the Father. You see, and that's what we're going to, we're going to go to our second and third question. So why do you think the religious priesthood was upset? Why did they get so... Like, they wanted to kill him. <laughs> so they weren't just upset. Like, that's why the plot twist of, it's on the Sabbath. That's why it's a big deal, because these guys are like, guys, we got to get together. We got to take this carpenter. We got to kill the guy, right? That's intense. So why was the priesthood so upset? I think the first question was, why did he leave? I think, personally, it was born out of compassion. Mm, so he just had compassion. So that love superseded any law, whether it was Sabbath or not. He seen someone suffering. He wants to show love. You know what's amazing about that, Princess? Who is Jesus? Who 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 is Jesus? His love is God. He is God, right? It's not love. He is God. So what's amazing about what you just said is that God has compassion. The God of the universe that created the world, that set it into motion, that doesn't deserve, we don't deserve his compassion because of our sinful nature. Nature. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his mercy because of our sinful nature and original inherited sin. And you nailed it. He showed compassion to this man. That's, and Jesus then says, I'm not just Jesus here. I'm not just a man. Everything I do, the Father does and is doing. And everything goes through me, 
to the Father. And he's going to say that later in John 14. I love that point, like that idea of compassion. And just think about it. It's not Jesus showed him compassion. Jesus shows compassion. He is God. And that's the God of the universe that sits on the heavenly throne, that is a being that masters over everyone, shows compassion. I love that. Is there anything else we notice? Like you can, we can answer a question too, but Jesus is showing compassion to this man, right? Picks up, and this shows the heart of the priesthood even more. The heart of man and humanity even more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's undermining their authority, their authority because yeah. uh, not only were they just the priesthood, but they were also the community government. Yeah. They were the, the government for the Jewish people. Uh, so basically, like breaking a commandment to them, he's breaking the law. Yeah. He arrested. Uh, the, that, at that time, the uh, Sadducees, the Pharisees, had like secret, had like police who would bring people out and they would hold their own court hearings before a rabbi. And uh, so for Jesus to go and just totally ignore all of, all of their laws that they set based in their tradition, it could cause anarchy for them. Yeah. yeah. So they're worried that their community can fall apart. And it's almost, when you say it, when you break it down, Josiah, I love that. I was actually going to break that down, but you did it. When I love that, though, because read further on in verse 23 to 24. So that all will honor the Son, even as, actually before that, for not even the Father judges anyone. Compassion, John 3.16, right? We just learned that. And the woman at the well. But he has given all judgment to the Son. So, that's the cross. He's going to die for our sins because we, don't des- we deserve to die and go to hell. He's going to make the way for us to go to heaven and eternal life. That's the good news that Jesus brings. So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Josiah, the, just, just like you said, breaking down the earthly law and community to establish his lordship. So it, there's anarchy. it's almost a judgment because it's going to cause anarchy in the community because the leadership's going to get dethroned. And that's the part of judgment that God brings because of our sinful nature. But he, then he doesn't just leave it. <laughs> he offers salvation. And he says, worship me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life. He offers salvation. This is before the cross, by the way. This is before he actually went and died on the cross. So people will say that the cross proves, like, this proves Jesus is God even before he goes to the cross, is what I'm trying to say. And, and it continues, um, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. It's just a repeating of John 3.16. So why does this make people, like Josiah, you answered it, like why else does this make humanity upset? Cindy? Well, like the, when it says that he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Like in the past, prophets and different people who had risen up were, were called crazy and they could be disputed because yeah. they didn't do the miracles or anything. And so they're just crazy there or whatever. And, so and then they get exiled. Following for a time, but they cycled through and they came and went but Jesus is backing up his claims 
even though he's not out and out saying, this is who I am, he's doing it through his actions, but, but uh, he's backing it up. And the people, because his, his actions, his miracles are yeah. full of compassion, yeah. people are drawn to him. Yes. Right? And, they, and so he's dangerous because the masses are going to follow, follow, follow. Right? He's not, he's not doing political things or things that nobody cares about. He's healing people that have been sick for 38 years. Yeah. Right? You know, that are getting outcasts, that are exiled, that are kind yeah, of getting lost in translation, right? Yeah. Um, and he's yeah. doing a lot of things that show a lot of compassion, but he's building a following of people. And even though lots of them are following him for the miracles, it's still a big crowd. So he's getting more and more dangerous. Right. And at this point in John, and we see it in Mark, where he actually skipped going to a town. Uh, because, or you thought about it, I think, yeah, he actually did, because it was going to be really dangerous to go there, because the crowd was so big, lots of big crowds can be also bad, as we can see with mass protests and stuff like that, sometimes they can turn bad and violent, right? Um, no, I love that, and I like the ordering. So think about the ordering here. Does Jesus preach first and then heal? Or is he healing first and then preaching? What's the ordering here? He's healing first, and then he's establishing through the word. So one's not, one's not greater than the other. And at Enrich, we serve just as much as we preach and vice versa. That's all really important. One's not greater than the other. And Jesus is showing that here. He's doing, and then he's proclaiming the word. The last, yeah, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, no. But when there's both, to the miracle, to the service. T typically, every single, I'll say this, every single miracle that Jesus does points to the Father. Yeah. And he always points it to the Father, always. So, like, you look at the healing of the leper, it's right after the Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus comes down, heals the leper, and then Jesus talks about his faith, right? So, in that case, he preached, but then because of his proclaiming of the word, this man knew this man that was preaching is the savior of the world. And then Jesus says, you know I'm savior, and he touches him, right? By the way, he touches a sick person, <laughs> goes beyond the sickness, protocols, breaks them, touches the man physically, heals the leper. He goes beyond the, the norms of the world because he has established his authority. So every single miracle Jesus does establishes his authority to the Father as the Father, 100% man, 100% God. And sometimes he says that, like here, and then sometimes it's done through action, too. And sometimes it's really cryptic, and he does it on purpose, especially with apocalypse, uh, when he talks about the end of the world, and apocalypse, I can't even say the word. Apocalypse. Yes, literature, right? Liter you know, when Mark 12, I think, or Mark 13, around there, 14, um, he talks about, you know, sometimes it's cryptic and you have to discern it. Uh, and then sometimes it's really clear, like right here, this is the good news, right? So lastly, I'm going to end here. But 
Jesus says, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So why did Jesus say this? Well, we're going to learn in two weeks what this means. and It's going to lead into when Jesus talks about the witness of John, the witness of works, when he leads into the feeding of the 5,000. And is Jesus telling us that we need to be absolutely perfect here? Well, I want to, I want to show you. He heals the man. <laughs> and then he says, behold. And he gives him a call to the standard, right? So he doesn't say, okay, you're over there and you can't walk. Don't sin anymore, and then I'll heal you, right? No, you laugh. Prosperity gospel, modern teaching of gospel, modern, lots of charismatic movements, some movements that really rail against miracles also teach this. This idea of walking the spiritual treadmill, running on the spiritual treadmill in order to get God's favor. God gives the man favor first, and then the man responds in a form of worship by by knowing he doesn't know his name, but he knows this man healed him and he points to him. And he, you know, um, so there's that ordering that's really important too. So I want you all to keep that in mind as well as we end today. So the miracles, I always look at the miracles as a symptom of God's revelation. It, the miracle actually isn't the main part of what Jesus is doing. You know what I mean? It's not the thesis of the argument. It's not the point of the story. Like the miracle itself is not the end-all be-all of the story. The miracle points to the Son and points, therefore points to the Father, establishes his earthly authority in the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of earth. And, and not just establishes a new authority, but puts his authority on top of human authority. So this story proves that Jesus is above our government. Jesus is, a, just like it says in Daniel, where Daniel has a revelation of the many governments in his dream getting overthrown and new government. There's going to be a new leader that you're not going to like one day or you're going to love him. But guess what? It's just a guy or a woman. It's just a human, right? I'm just a human, just like all of you, sinful, needing Jesus. Because Jesus is the eternal king. That should give us peace, if anything. And Daniel gets revealed to that <laughs> in his story. He defies the government, not in a way of protesting or complaining or getting violent. He just says, I'm going to worship. Okay, I can't worship God. I'm just going to worship him in my room, in my house, three times a day now. So he doesn't do it publicly. He's taking care of his faith privately. And he's... He knows I need God. The reason why Jesus needs to do miracles is because the world doesn't know that yet. Some Christians, most Christians actually don't know how much they need God. And I want to challenge you with that tonight. How much do you need God? You should be starving for God. You should be waking up in the morning and hungry to read his word. It should be addicting, it should be toxic, it should be this like thing that's just infatuating. You should be so in love with God and not in this love, not in a honeymoon way where you're like, wanna just go on dates all the time. Like there is a next level of love where it's like, okay, this person has my back no matter what. And we're gonna have this hard conversation where we're not gonna agree, but we still love each other, right? 
Because God is going to challenge you. He's going to push you. He's going to allow you to go through suffering. And he's going to say, what are you doing in your joyful season? What are you doing in your suffering? Are you complaining, grumbling, yelling at people, getting rid of your friends, being non or uh, being mean, being um, showing no compassion to people because of your earthly suffering? Or are you going to find peace in the Lord and say, you know what? I'm suffering and I'm going through this, but God suffered worse for me. And for that person I don't like. So I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. What is your posturing? The miracle is just like a symptom. People got into contact with Jesus. And therefore they were healed because of his power is so amazing. And he still does that, by the way. Still works in that way. But we don't conjure. It's not a genie. And just because Jesus doesn't heal everyone doesn't mean he's not real. Doesn't mean he's not... That, that means if we're focusing on that, we're just like the priest said. And then we're going to get mad when Jesus works a certain way that we don't think is within our law. And we're going to get really mean. And we're going to want to kill people. Poor Jesus. <laughs> that might be an exaggeration, but that happens. Where people want to kill people. And they want to hurt people. Because they don't like the message. They want to shut down the message. They want to censor talk. They want to, because they can't handle the other side of things. We're seeing that in our modern culture. And Jesus says, come to me because I am above all that. I'm above the pettiness, the gossip. And I point to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this group. Pray that we just have a great rest of our night. And we just thank you uh, for this time that you've given us. Thank you for your words. Thank you for just everything that you're doing in all of our lives. And I pray that we'll just like look at this and what you say here. You work when you work because it's your sovereign will to work in your plan that we don't even know. And you are the Lord and you are above us and you are with us in compassion as well. Truth and grace. And I pray that we'll be reminded tonight of that. And that we'll be reminded that um, you are fully in control even if our world seems chaotic. And when we know that, let us come to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word believes that him who sent me has eternal life. You have given us eternal life. Not our phones, not our movies, not our friends, not our pastors, not our political parties, not our vaccines or non-vaccines, not our masks. Nothing gives us salvation except for you. So let us just worship you and unify under your words. In your holy name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.